me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Green Grass and White Bases podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reardon. We're joined today by Astros pitcher Brandon Belak. Brandon, pumped to have you on, man. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, Eric, man. First time doing it, so I'm pumped up too. Yeah, we're pumped to have you, man. And I mean, there's only one place to start here. You've had a you've had a busy month in the same week. You win a World Series, and you get married. So has that sunken in yet? How awesome does that feel? I mean, that that week was uh, pretty chaotic, but I mean, the time of my life, uh, going from winning the World Series in Houston, uh, and then flying home the next day with with my w- wife now, and uh, getting married that Friday and. I mean, it was the best week of my life, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, you just straight party for a whole week, right? So, I mean, growing up, you know, as a baseball player, everybody's dream is to play in a World Series and be a World Series champion, right? So how how does it, like, has it hit you yet? Like, are you able to sit there and say, man, this is something I get to add to my resume? I mean, like, when people say congrats on the World Series, I'm like, damn, that, that happened. Right. Like, that that happened. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's still settling in, obviously, like, uh, I keep it in the back of my head. Like people don't care what has happened in the past. Uh, there's there's another year ahead of us. So um, taking each day day by day and, and and keep getting better. So so we can do it again next year. Right. Yeah. And that's awesome. It's a really good segue into the the first kind of question I have for you here. Like my thought process going in is like as you move up level to level, right? Like with like I said before, with everybody's goal being to be a big leaguer, right? It's awesome that you're able to be on that stage. So getting to that level, like how do your goals change once you're once you're there and you want to keep your spot, right? How do your goals change that way? And then coming off a World Series when we're at the top of the top, how does that how does that change your approach and your preparation? Yeah, I mean each level you go from uh, short season to low A to double A, triple A. They all they all have different uh, avenues to go down for pitching uh, performances, like. When you get to the higher levels, it comes it comes down to scouting reports. Uh, then, in the big leagues level, even more in depth uh, scouting reports and even more detail that you have to focus on uh, day in day out. Um, all the meetings that we have to go over hitters and scouting reports, and then once the World Series is over, we got another year to prepare for next year. Right. Uh, you can take that time in and, and soak it all in, but there comes a time where you got to put in the past and and keep moving forward and get ready for next year. Right. And I mean, there's no doubt you jumped right on that because even with that week where you go from world series champ, newly married, you hit your honeymoon and then you're right back here getting after it. So it's, it's awesome to, and I think uh, it's really cool to see, like, I'm sure like you're saying, like people say congrats on the world series and you're like, wow, that's really me. Right. But, and so I'm sure you don't think about it this way, but like, it's awesome to see you come back to a facility like this and a place like this where you kind of get to set an example for these guys that are trying to be where you're at. So what what's that feeling like where you got to stay on your own grind and you know like with the levels you've been able to reach that you've earned, there's a ton of eyes on you. Right. I mean, baseball house has taken care of me since I've been in high school with Joe and, and Garlotti. Uh, they've taken care of me and uh, helped me become the player that I am today. And we're all the college and high school guys around. Uh, I hope I set a great example for them. And they obviously, they, they push me to another level as well. Um, and it's great to be able to work out with them and, and see what they're doing and for me to help make adjustments for them, whether it's pitching or in the weight room, uh, just little uh, deficiencies that I, I could see just from my experience. So it's great to have them around and be able to uh, to be a leader for them. Right. And I think I think that's an awesome perspective where you can kind of break it down and say, sure, I'm on this level, but 
the objective is right. If you can continue to be a, a guiding light for some of these younger guys, then it makes it holds you accountable to a high standard too. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, I mean, just just seeing. I mean, I've seen a lot of these guys from high school and now into their third, fourth, fifth years of college, and just to see the strides that they've made. It's pretty awesome. Right. Yeah, and that's that's cool, man. So kind of put yourself back in in their shoes, right? You you go to high school at St. Joe's Metuchen, and I know even just playing against you back in the days, like you guys were dominant back then. Then you go on to a college career at Notre Dame, right? Really successful there. So I guess the first step I want to get your insight on is. What did your recruiting process look like? I mean, being the player you were in high school, county player of the year here in Middlesex County, what did that look like and how much of a whirlwind was that just getting to that college level first? Right. I mean, uh, my first offer came as a freshman. Uh, I won't name any schools. I'll go into some details about how it all went. Uh, my first offer as a freshman, uh, I go to the university and they say, here, here's your offer. Uh, you have a week to decide. My first ever offer at college. Uh, and... I'm like, mom, dad, like, I have a week to decide where I want to go to college. Like, what's this all about? Right. At that point, you're 14, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, like, obviously, I'm a freshman. I don't even, I don't even know what's ahead of me in my career yet. Um, and I'm like, I, I just don't think I can make a decision in a week. Uh, and then after that, uh, so one, one school offered, and then a bunch more came in into play. And uh, we were traveling around the entire country going to visit schools. And then uh, Notre Dame ended up being the last school I visited and I uh, never looked back and couldn't have made a better decision to go there. Yeah, that's awesome. Talking to talking to a few guys now that have gone through the college ranks, it seems like at least so far we've been lucky in our conversations here on the podcast that we've we've talked to a bunch of guys that were really happy with the school they chose. And it's awesome to look at like you're going to Notre Dame, Joe Papio's at Ryder, Andrew Tan's at Binghamton. So it's, it's a wide spectrum of schools that, that guys from here end up going to and people just – our guys being excited with the choices they make. And I mean, you make a great decision to go to a school or university and you never know where it may take you. You build so many relationships and so many different avenues and it could get you into the business world or it could take it to, to the big leagues and any school could do that for you. Right, and there's no doubt. So Notre Dame being the, the highly esteemed academic institution that it is, I know recently you've, you've finished up your degree there and you've graduated. So that's awesome that you're able to accomplish that as you're also a successful ball player. So just take me through how important that was to you to go back there and get that degree. Uh, the first year I went back to Notre Dame, it was, you know, I was in AAA and we made it all the way to the championship. Uh, so I was two and a half weeks late on the first, on the fall semester there. So right. the professors were great and everything. Uh, I was, I was able to do all the homework and assignments online and be able to submit them through that. Um, and then once I got there, I was right in the mix of things, and uh, I mean, it was definitely challenging going back to school, uh, being the older person there in the class. A little weird, but uh, still got the job done, um, and that year I got, I think I had five credits left after that, that fall semester, and then I was able to, during the COVID year, I was able to do the uh, rest of the classes online through Notre Dame, and uh, ended up getting my degree. Awesome. And what's your degree in? It was uh, business uh, technology. Awesome. So going into college, right, if it, let's say this baseball thing didn't happen and you were looking to go into the business world, what was what were your goals there? And I mean, I'm thankful that I didn't have to go that route. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, dude, I don't even know. And that's fine, too. I yeah. mean, listen, I know, like, I've seen a bunch of stuff about people who are, like, ultra successful in their field, right? And, I mean, reaching the big leagues, you know, most of the listeners would under have heard stats about how, like, even, like, 
a tenth of a percent of draft picks right. end up where you're at now. So I think the perspective of, you know, we've seen stuff before where it's like people who end up super successful in their field, they have the mindset that you're talking about now where it's like, listen, I'm set on this and I'm going to dedicate my life and my work to this goal that I have. And it's awesome that it's panned out for you. Man. I mean, exactly. Like if I didn't get drafted my junior year, I probably, I would have an answer for you if right. I went back to my senior year. Uh, but being able to get drafted after that junior year, I mean, there was one goal in mind. Right. Um, so that was, that was kind of the main goal. Yeah, it's awesome that you can provide that perspective and say, listen, like I'm set on this. And, and with the with the dedication that you've had, it's like to be able to reach those heights, really cool stuff, man. So talk about that jump then, right? You get drafted out of Notre Dame your junior year. You're playing at a high level in college in a, in a big time school, right, with a big logo across your chest. But then you get into pro ball. How does the how does the preparation how does the day to day change when you make that jump from the college level to the pro level? Yeah, I mean in college obviously you got the academics yep. uh, part of it, and then once you get into pro ball, like you're a fish among sharks and everything there. Uh, so you got to be that next guy up and, and be ready to take in all the information possible uh, through the organization and learn from them and uh, be able to do what they want they want you to do. And I, that's what I did as in the short season my first year. I have Bill Murphy, who's a big league pitching coach now, and I've had him through my entire career, so it's been great. Awesome. And, and being able to be close to home, I was in Tri-City Valley Cats my first short season, uh, so it was great to be closer to home that, that first short season. Awesome. Yeah, and, and Bill Murphy, former Rutgers guy, former yeah. Wagner guy, so he's a local guy too. I know he's been in here a few times yep. too. So talk about, talk about that relationship where, I mean, do you feel fortunate that you were able to have a guy you were familiar with through your whole career working your way up? For sure. I mean, like – He's seen the adjustments that I've made since coming from college into my first pro season. Now, uh, big league pitcher and still making minor adjustments and big adjustments that I still need to make. Um, and being able to communicate with him and build that relationship, uh, he'll pick up the phone whenever I call. He'll answer texts whenever I text. Uh, so it's it's great to have that relationship. Yeah, that's awesome. Bill's a great guy. I know uh, him and my dad have had a connection through Rutgers for a while now. We were out in Houston, got to catch a game, and he hooked us yeah. up with some tickets oh, this nice. summer. So, nice. yeah, it was cool. So, I mean, on, on top of that, right, uh, we're talking about, like, the day-to-day -day and making adjustments. So I know um, technology has become a big part of our game. We got the rap soto and stuff in here even. So how – how do you use that stuff at the professional level where, you know, even you're talking about minor adjustments to huge adjustments that help you be successful. How do you apply the technology and the analytics to all that? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, obviously it's great to have all the information and everything, but the main point is you still got to go out there and get your job done. Of course. You can take all the information that you want. Um, there's maybe some old school guys and maybe some new school guys, uh, in the big leagues. So everybody's different. Um, but when it comes to analytics and statistics, I think it's it's pretty crucial to understand like how a guy may be hot in the month of April, uh, what pitches he's hitting in April, but he may have made an adjustment to a different pitch that uh, that he hasn't made the adjustment yet in June. Right. So it, you got to be able to see them trends from month to month or week to week, um, from the previous time you faced them to the next time you face them. Uh, you always have to have uh, a game plan uh, right. and and do your homework. Right. So does that do those adjustments? Are they more defensive in the in the mindset like you're saying, where you're more reading scouting reports, or are they more offensive in the point to like you're in the bullpen trying to tweak a couple things? Uh, I think both. It's, it, I think it's a de uh, both points there. Uh, you're you're doing your homework on what I mean. You're going through every guy in the lineup um, every day, um, and obviously you're going to work on in your bullpens uh, what pitches that might work for 
uh, the opposing team. So it's definitely getting your repetition there in the bullpen uh, to hopefully help you succeed in your next outing. Right. So then at at your level, right, what does what does I know you're playing almost every day, right? So what does that what does a bullpen type session look like? What does like a practice look like where you're making those adjustments? Right. In the in the minor leagues and triple A, you're on a six man rotation. Right. Uh, they even do it in the big leagues now. So it's definitely beneficial to do that uh, in the minor leagues as well. So if I start on Friday, um, I'll have Saturday and Sunday play light toss. And then on Monday, I'll throw another bullpen, um, probably 25, 30 pitches. Uh, could be a touch and feel, depending on if everything feels good. Uh, kind of just just maintaining what I've, what I've done. But if I need to improve on things, it's obviously fine-tuning some stuff. Right. So then when you're when – you're making those tweaks and fine tuning like that. Are you plugged into to a rap soda or a track man every time? Yep. Oh, yep. uh, you got the Edutronic and you got uh, the portable track man. So, it, I mean, it's great having the data from pitch to pitch and, and seeing what manipulations that you have to do in order to create the pitch that you want. Right. And then outside of the value of having all that data at your disposal, right? I know I've heard some guys and this could just be from, you know, where I sit in a lack of exposure. Mm-hmm. I've heard some guys say that when their eyes are on this data all the time, it kind of like some, not that it hurts, but it kind of adds that element where you're, you're focused on maybe hitting a certain velo, getting a certain spin rate or something like that. So how do you, how do you balance those two things? For sure. Like you gotta know, you gotta know what's working for you. And if, if you know something's working for you, ditch the data, right? you know, and then for the data aspect of it, I think it's, I think it's great to have it pitch per pitch. But once again, like you got to know yourself. Right. I think that's what it comes down to. Gotcha. So, and then as it as it applies to like the data and the analytics stuff, like how big of a transition was that going from college to pro ball, or did you have some exposure during your college time too? I mean, our our scouting reports in college. I mean, we went through the lineup once Friday before the game. Right. Uh, and I mean, I'm not really sure where the information is coming from uh, now. Like, it's it's great to be able to get all the data. Uh, through a database and uh, even the college guys now have information on other teams. So it's, it's great to be able to do a scout report based on numbers and talk your numbers and also your eyes watching right. video. Yep. So. so, and then something I'm like to take a total left turn here, something I'm super interested in is like, what does, what does the travel and the accommodations thing look like? And how, how big of a difference is that from playing in the minor leagues to getting up to the big league level? I mean, that's, that's a big difference. That's, that's what it seems uh, like. Yeah. Minor leagues. I mean, it's much better now, I think. Um, but I mean, shoot, in Double A, I was we we're finishing a game at midnight, and we're getting on a bus for twelve, thirteen hours. No sleeper bus. We're we're getting on a a normal like charter bus, and we're driving thirteen, fourteen hours, and we're sleeping on the floor of the buses, right? Um, to try and get our sleep and recover to be able to perform the next day and, and achieve our dreams of to get to the big leagues, right? And I mean, that's. That's what's driving everybody. Uh, having that motivation to get to the big leagues, that's why, I mean, obviously people complain about it, but in the end of the day, you're still being able to fulfill your dream of playing in the minor leagues and professional baseball and eventually fulfilling a dream of getting to the big leagues. So um, it's definitely a mental part part of the game, uh, being able to deal with the travel, but uh, it's just part of it. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask too, is how much how much that motivates you, being a guy that's that's seen both ends of that now, like, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and big leagues are, you're getting a chartered plane. Uh, you'd be able to 
get right on the bus and you're getting dropped off right in front of the plane to be able to travel to whatever city you need to go to. Right. So then I know just watching like post-game interviews, right? Like there's some guys who are like buttoned down, yeah. jacket and tie, like like it's kind of a silly question, but is there like some type of dress code enforced? Like what, how do your mannerisms have to change day to day when you go from working your way to the big leagues and now being in the big leagues? Right. I mean, it's all about being a professional at every level. Right. Uh, each manager has their own dress code. Uh, so in the minor leagues, it could just be a collared shirt. Uh, in the big leagues, it could just be a button-down shirt, maybe a blazer, or some managers require a suit to travel. Right. Uh, it just all depends on which manager it is. Gotcha, gotcha. I think that's that's probably the part I miss being on my end is it's like it's awesome to watch these guys like you in the big leagues, but there's there's certainly a human element to it, right? Every every single person on the Astros, like through and through, man, they're they're freaking awesome. Like, that's a, they're that's brothers, great. man. Yeah, awesome. that's got to be a cool environment to be in. I know I had a conversation with my good buddy from Rutgers, Brian Fitzpatrick, who's in his mm-hmm. first season with the Brewers organization now. And he said the coolest thing for him is he gets to lift with these big league guys and say, listen, we're in the same weight room and we're all trying to get after the same exactly. thing. So I think it'd be awesome if you could shed some light on that and talk about how like you, like they're just people, right? Like it's awesome that we get to sit here and have a conversation, but we've been around each other since I was, I don't know, 13, 14 yeah. years old, right? So how does that how does that become a reality for you when you get called up to this big league level and you're now you're playing in the same dugout with guys that you've watched on TV before? Talk about that human element. I mean, in the locker room, you got Cy Young winners, you got MVPs, um, and they're, they're teammates. And that's right. the way I look at it. And I know the way they've treated me uh, being a young guy on the team. And hopefully if I get to their point in time, uh, where they are in their career, uh, I mean, I will treat everybody the same way. Uh, as they do to me and just treat everybody with respect and be a good teammate and obviously if they need some advice or any any tips or anything then i'd be there for them right um obviously in spring training like you have a minor league side and you have a big league side but i mean uh it's great to be able to like intermingle with everybody and just create those relationships because they could be your teammate that next week in the in in the big league so you never know right that's awesome that in the organization you're part of where it's that type of environment where, you know, it doesn't seem like anybody's big time in anybody and you get to, you get that feeling of, of purpose and of connection and that kind of thing. So that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an amazing culture in the Astros organization and, and in the clubhouse. Um, and I, I think that's why we're really good. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it speaks volumes. We've ended up at that point in the conversation with a lot of guys I've talked to so far where we talk about all the X's and O's and all the on-field stuff, and it always boils down to what kind of culture you have. So it's awesome to see that that even applies, even at the heights you've reached. Big time. Yeah, Big time. really cool. So you're talking about how, right, like some guys, will they're your teammates in the minor leagues this week, and then you get called up together, and now we're in the big leagues or whatever. Maybe somebody's making a rehab start, and then a couple mm-hmm. weeks later, you're all on the same level on the big stage. So talk about, like, the business of baseball, right, especially this time of year with all the free agency stuff. We see transactions going on. How much does that part of it, knowing that trades can happen and guys can sign different places, how does that weigh on your mindset? Yeah, I mean, uh, in the end, it all comes down to competition. Like, you're competing from day one. You go into spring training, you're still competing for a job. Right. Uh, for me, like, still competing for a rotation spot. Um, Verlander has given me a lot of opportunities in my career uh, to be able to go pitch in the big leagues. Um, and then him leaving and signing with the Mets sure you're happy about that yeah i mean listen i wouldn't have, i wouldn't mind if brandon Belak came and signed with the I mets know, but uh, obviously from from your perspective you're, you're still trying to cement yourself exactly. into that big league rotation exactly. so exactly so i mean 
that's been my goal from day one to be in the starting rotation. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep striving for that. Yeah, and that that's awesome, man. That that you have these opportunities and that. So talk about that kind of from the flip side, right? Like you're drafted by the Astros, you come up through the organization. Now you're playing in the big leagues for them. That's always a cool story to see. Like even from a Mets perspective, a guy like Brandon Nimmo. Right. So talk about how like you're talking about your relationship with Billy Murphy and you got the same guys around you, your whole ride up through the organization. How important has that been to you to say, like, this is a team that took a shot on me out of college and now I get to play in the big leagues? with them? Yeah, it's great. I mean, uh, to still be in the Astros organization and giving me chances and opportunities, I'll be forever, great, forever grateful for that. Um, and I owe Bill Murphy uh, a lot of praise for what he's done in my pitching career. Uh, so I thank him for that, obviously. Um, but to still be in the Astros organization and winning a championship back-to-back -back years, last year's American League, this year World Series. Right. Uh, so having two rings with the Astros, uh, I'll forever be grateful for that. That's awesome, man. It's it's so cool that you can sit here and kind of have that reflection and say, like, you're so happy about the place you ended up. I know it's such a lottery when you're coming out of college or you're a high school kid getting drafted on where you're going to end up. So it's awesome that you get to sit here and, be comfortable and excited about Absolutely. the place you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. So then the big figurehead for the Houston Astros, Dusty Baker, right? And I think, you know, the latest anybody in the in the public has heard from him is when he's up on stage after the World Series and say, there's only one thing to do, party, <laughs> right? So how cool has it been to play for a guy like that? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, having Dusty there, uh, hearing stories about Hank Aaron, Barry Bonds, and so many other baseball figures and being able to hear stories about legends right um it's it's pretty awesome he's calmest coolest dude i've ever met in my life uh, and it's and it's awesome to be able to go out there and put on an astros jersey for him yeah really cool man really cool so then what what differences or what combination is there between a young guy like billy murphy mm -hmm. as your pitching coach right and then you got dusty baker on the other end who's a who's a legend of the game right. he's been around a long time so how does that combination create like a winning culture like you have I think it's the type of people they are. Right. Uh, everybody's got one goal in mind, and it's to win. Uh, obviously, uh, there, some people may butt heads here and there, uh, but that comes in with every job. Right. And that's just because people have the motivation to want to win. And but I mean, everybody in the coaching side, the front office, uh, everybody puts in so much work to be able to be on each other's side and, and put the best best team out there to play. Right. I think that's I'm, – I'm glad you brought that up about, like, getting your job done, right? Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of guys, at least at this level, will say, I'm just playing baseball. How does the mindset change when you know, like, this is my employment? Like, this is where I work. This is how I make my livelihood. How does that shift your focus? Absolutely, man. You got to – day in, day out, you got to go out there and get your job, job done. Because, uh, I mean, there's so many other guys behind you that are, are pushing for your job. And – that's the pressure and the privilege that you get for being in the big leagues. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Joe always says that here all the time, right? Pressure is a privilege. Right. So, and yeah, it's, it's cool to see that, you know, even at the, at the heights you've reached that yeah. you get to keep that mindset. So talk about that preparation, right? So what does a day you've been a guy in, even in the big leagues that's pitched in the rotation and you've come out of the bullpen. So what is, what does a day at the field look like for Brandon Belak when you know you're starting and then compared to when you know you're active out of the bullpen? Right. Start day, uh, game at seven Oh five. Uh, got to hit up my Dunkin' Donuts on the way to the field. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but uh, for a start day, I'll, I'll get to the field probably around 2, 2.30. Um, go over any final scout reports uh, that I need to do. Uh, I'll start getting activated. 
around four o'clock, get my prep in around five, uh, finish up around five, uh, have pitchers catchers meetings and with the pitching coach to go over uh, the scouting report for, for each hitter. And if there could be a pinch hitter or something, and yeah, we'll have a like 20, 25 minute uh, pitcher catcher and pitching coach meeting uh, to go over the lineup for that day. And uh, after that, obviously getting in game mode, uh, doing my final prep. I'll go out 25 minutes before the game game time, uh, go out to about 125 feet, uh, take a few minutes, take some deep breaths, and then get on the bullpen mound to, to prepare myself to go compete. Uh, and that's for a start day. And then bullpen day, I'm getting to the field around 1 o'clock for a 7 o'clock game. Uh, have some lunch when I get to the field. Um, hang out with the boys in the locker room, play some cards, um, be nice and chill. Uh, and then go out and play some play some catch around 3.30, 4 o'clock. Um, depending on the day, I'll go whatever distance, however my body and arm are feeling. Right. And then uh, and if I haven't thrown off the mound in a few days, then I'll get off the mound, a little touch and field, probably around 10 pitches. And then uh, an hour before the game, I'm, I'm in the weight room prepping my body and going out there and getting ready to compete again. Awesome. Awesome. So from a from a being in the rotation standpoint, right, like what – there's all this preparation that happens before the game. Between innings, I know we see guys on TV hitting these tablets in the dugout and stuff now. So how does, how does that between inning stuff happen as the game continues? Yeah, I mean, uh, just being able to communicate with your catcher and pitching coach, like, uh, the first time through the lineup, you may you may see something different, and then in your scouting report, because I mean the hitters are doing a scouting report on you as well, of so course. they might be making they're making their adjustments. So it's a it's a chess game that you're playing. Um, so being able to communicate with your pitcher or your catcher and your pitching coach on what adjustments you need to make second and third time around in the lineup, right? Uh, that's that's what you're doing in between innings. So then, how how do you approach the game mentally, right? I know a huge difference going from a college level to the pro level is you're calling most of your own pitches, right? So then, how how do you formulate that? Like, what what's the mental part of that that goes into your performance on the mound? Yeah, I mean, you got to know uh, your best pitches, right? Obviously, you got your strikeout pitches and you got your uh, your weak contact pitches. So you got to know each point, each pitch that you're throwing, what count it is, what runners are on base. Um, and you got to know, you got to know the inning and you got to see if it's a tight game or uh, if you're blowing them away. Right. Uh, so there's so many different aspects of the game where you got to know uh, that you have to know in order to call your own pitches. Right. And I think that's super valuable to talk about approach. I know a lot of younger guys coming up are like the guys that succeed at these lower levels can rely on their fastball and just blowing it by guys. So like that development of your pitches and your repertoire and knowing what's going on and having an understanding of the situation stays super valuable, exactly. right? Like you can know all the information about the entire lineup, but if you don't know yourself, it ain't going to do you any good. Right. Amen. You kind of have that, you kind of have to have that attack mentality, exactly. right? You have to be on the offensive. Exactly. I always say, I think that's the best part of pitching is that first off the game doesn't happen until we tell it to. Yep. But then on top of that, like you're you're the guy with the ball, you're the guy in control, right. and I think that's awesome. No matter who's in the box, if you can stay with your stuff and stay where you're confident, most of the time that's going to be that's the right. And the biggest thing is you got to have conviction on every single pitch you throw, every single pitch. That's one piece of advice that I'd give to anybody. So then I want to I want to dig into that a little deeper, right? Because you're talking about the difference between your weak contact pitches, your strikeout pitches, mm -hmm. whatever. So when you're when you're early in the count compared to late in the count, like you're talking about throwing with conviction, does that how does that differ when you're trying to get ahead of a guy compared to when you're trying to put him away? I mean, 
got to have the same conviction on every pitch. Right. Uh, every single pitch. Uh, early in the count, uh, if it's a guy who, who has a big swing and miss, swing and misses, or if it's a guy who barrels the ball or a high, high contact rate. Right. Um, so there's so many different avenues that you can go, go down uh, through the lineup. But if it's, a, if, if it's a high contact guy and you got to know which pitches that he's swinging at in his own, if he's going to chase him, throw whatever pitch he's going to chase. Right. Um, but uh, it just comes down to knowing a scout report. Right. And is there any, is there any like toughness that comes with that where you're up there on the mound and you're like, I'm facing nine big league hitters today. Do you ever hit a point where you're like, holy crap, like I, I forget what the scouting report was on this guy or is it just like if you can maintain that attack mentality, the competitive edge, that drives you? Uh, it definitely comes into play. Right. Uh, but that's why you got to have such a great relationship and communication with your catcher. Right. Because uh, he, he's another pitcher out there. And, and obviously the pitcher's the leader, uh, but you got to have full trust in that catcher behind the plate. Yep. And I think that's where Maldonado and uh, Cashel and, and Quarterly and uh, – my older teammate Papirsky, uh that's 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 what's so great about them. Yeah, it's got to be awesome. There's got to be some comfort that comes in that on the flip side, right? Yeah. Where I'm, uh, you know, I asked that question and I'm thinking all this weight's on your shoulders up on the mound. But when you have this good relationship that you've built with these guys behind the plate, kind of takes that pressure exactly. off, right? You get to exactly. go at them. Exactly, awesome. and that's what's great about doing a game plan. You got you guys communicate with each other, and if somebody has something else, you guys can disagree on something, but you gotta have you gotta have uh, an answer to it. So. Right. Something I'm interested in is you talk earlier about how people say, hey, congrats on the World Series. And it's like, wow, like I'm in that position. Do you ever stand up there on the mound and pinch yourself and say, holy cow, like whoever, I don't know, J.D. Martinez is in the box? Or is it more of like like you're like you've been harping on like my job? I have to get my job done right now. So how do you how do you balance that mix of emotions? Right. I mean, I think probably when I was a rookie and uh there's no fans in the stands, but I was still competing at the highest level right. ever. Um, that, that was that was probably when I was pitching myself, um, and then and now it's it's my job. Right. Um, you, can, you got your highs and lows, uh, but at the end of the day, you still got to go out there and perform. Right. Do you think there was any value to coming up in the COVID season the way you did, where no one's in the stands, and it's kind of like like you're saying, I'm on the highest level. I've reached this point I want to get to, but does it feel any more like you're just playing another baseball game compared to now where you pitch in front of a sold-out stadium? I mean, I wish – I do wish there was fans in the, in the, in the stands. Of course. Because uh, that's where all the emotion – that's where all the emotion and your adrenaline comes from. Uh, obviously, with my debut being with no fans, I mean, obviously I had a ton of adrenaline. I'm sure. Uh, going because it was my dream and uh, it's still my dream to be in the big leagues. Yeah. Um, but just – it was great to be able to develop the relationships with my teammates and kind of seeing how those guys go on a daily ba- uh their routines on a daily basis, uh, even though it was a shorter season, uh, and to be able to take that into the off season uh, to perform that next year, it it definitely helped uh, having no fans and being able to even though it was a shorter season to see what the guys in the locker room do on a daily basis. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like in a similar vein, right? Does that consistency kind of carry you through or was it like, hey, this season we had all this COVID stuff going on and now I'm back and there's people in the stands watching me. Does that consistency help you kind of stay even keeled through for that? For sure, for sure. And I mean, uh, I've had like one normal season so far. We right, had, right. The COVID season and last year, uh, the beginning of the year, there were still no fans in the stands. Right. And then this year we had the lockout. Uh, so everything was delayed a little bit. So hopefully the 
this year is, is pretty normal. Yeah, hopefully 2023 we get back to a little bit more <laughs> exactly. normal baseball, exactly. right? And I think I think it's really cool to hear your perspective on that, where it's like, listen, the regardless of the extra factors that surround it, right, the job you have to get done on the field remains the same. And I think it's what's really cool about hearing you say that is we talk to guys. I know, I, you know, even at Rutgers Newark, I have some freshmen that come in and the game speeds up on them, right? For or sure. you see a guy that's playing varsity baseball at the high school level for the first time. And what coaches will say all the time is it's the same game you've been playing sure. since you were eight years old, right? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't be here if you weren't really successful and you didn't deserve that opportunity. So you're still able to apply that at the level you're oh, at, right? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Whether I'm in a, in a spot where we're up seven runs or down seven runs or we have a two-run lead, uh, it's all the same. Right. It's all the same. Right. And that's, it's, it's really cool to, to think about, like, removing the emotion of it right and saying like if you can focus on the x's and o's the physical aspect right how much you're a guy that that grinds man i mean and listen i don't want to blow your head up too much right but you're, you're, you know you've been so humble throughout the whole time i've known you you're a guy that when i was in high school i was looking up to you because you always led by example showed sure. showed us the way to work and now how does that how does that carry you into a, a successful career thus far and saying like if my work ethic doesn't change and I can rely on this stuff that's made me good and brought me here, I can continue to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it comes down to uh, my family and my wife now and all the coaches that I've had in the past. And can't leave out my teammates, obviously. They're of the course. ones who shaped me in, into the ball player that I am today. Um, and just being able to keep that work ethic that I built with Joel, obviously, my, as a freshman, my first ever workout here, I, I was throwing up outside the baseball <laughs> yep. house. My yep. first ever workout. I thought, damn, this is what it's really about, huh? Uh, but I kept coming back and, and wanted it badly more than ever. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it just the, the consistency of it all is what's really yeah. cool to me. I have all my questions in my notes here about how things have changed yeah. from level to level. Mm -hmm. And to hear you talk about how, listen, I just stay the same guy. I do the same things. I stick to my routine. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. So talking about transition periods there, too, right? We're in the off season now. We're about a month and a half away from spring training already, which is crazy. So. I know a lot of the college guys that we have coming back here, they get these programs and stuff from their coaches. Does it look similar at the pro level? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty similar. Uh, obviously, like you're fine-tuning some stuff that you're, you have deficiencies in that you see throughout a whole baseball season. Um, so the Astros are great about putting a, a lifting and strength conditioning program uh, for pitchers and individually and uh, being able to come here. I mean, that was the longest baseball season in history right. uh, this past year. So it's definitely going to be a different offseason than normal. Uh, and then with the normal spring training on time, um, it's definitely less uh, less time for uh, less time for a normal off season. So I mean, you gotta gotta get back to work, right? Um, so no doubt about it. And then when you move into spring training, what does what does that uh, whatever month or six weeks or so look like when you're out there? Yeah, I mean that first uh, that first week is kind of getting your feet uh, underneath you, getting off the mound, throwing some bullpens and. Uh, the hitters get there a week later after the pitchers and catchers, uh, and then right away you're throwing a lot of BPs, and, and you're competing. You're competing once again. Uh, for me, obviously, I'm still competing for, for a rotation spot or long relief in the bullpen. Uh, so being able to go into spring training prepared and being able to compete, uh, that's, that's what's most important. Right. And then you break camp. You get to start the season up, right? How – Obviously, game one counts just as much as game 162, right? So then how do you how do you kind of flip that switch? Or does the does the spring training setup kind of provide you with as much buildup as you need? 
it does uh but once spring training come is starting to come to an end uh you can see you can see the guys like getting ready in game mode right uh, everybody's playing nine innings in the games uh pitchers are are going deep into games in spring training so the guys know when it's almost time to go right that's awesome so accommodations wise right throughout the season we talked about the the travel and the mm-hmm. hotels and stuff but being a jersey kid who you, you're living locally right. right and then do you have do you have a spot you stay in houston yep yep uh usually rent out an apartment uh i stay in like the river oaks area in houston um and a bunch of guys stay over there uh so i mean it's 10 12 minutes from minute Maid park awesome uh, so it's it's a, it's a super nice area and Super easy to get to and from Minute Maid. Right. And then this is going to sound like a big league question. Like, I'm a fan, right? But how, like, what, what's the, what's the setup with like getting to the stadium, right? Like, how well do they hook you guys up with that coming in and getting into it? Yeah. I mean, oh, you got, you got the cops waiting outside the parking lot uh, to get into the stadium and they hold up traffic for you. And I mean, you got to have a certain uh, badge to get into the parking lot. Um, Obviously, I mean, uh, certain guys. They don't need their badge. They can just get <laughs> right, right. if you're a known low player. Um, but, I mean, yeah, they do a job. you got your own parking spot in the parking lot. Um, but, yeah, they, they definitely hook it up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome. It's awesome to see how you're, you're just, like, so able to remain humble in all this and say this is the next step in the progression. Yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, uh, get the police escort going to and from uh, the airport in Houston. Uh, you don't get that. You don't get that everywhere, but in Houston, uh, police officers do a great job for us. So oh, that's awesome! Thankful for that. Good deal. So then, being in Houston now, like, how much has that city had an impact on you? And what? How how different is it living down there? And then, how much do you enjoy the surroundings? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, my wife. I mean, she comes out and and travels with me uh, a lot of the years. I mean, we've just come out to Albuquerque, uh, all the minor league cities and the, and the big league cities as well. Uh, so we we're starting to. To learn all the spots in Houston, and we're starting to enjoy it more and more each year. Well, then, what's what's your favorite spot? If you're going to give a shout out to a spot in Houston, oh, uh, we're going Blue Dorm. Blue Dorm's best restaurant in Houston, no doubt about it. What kind of restaurant are we talking? It's like a French American uh, cuisine. Uh, they got a really good lobster pot pie. Awesome, really good. awesome, good deal. And then, so getting back into the baseball stuff now, right? Like. You have this goal your whole life, just like every ball player does, to get to the big leagues. So how do your how do your short term goals change? Right, we talked a bunch how you're trying to make sure you can cement that rotation mm-hmm. spot, and then how much weight do you put on like long term goals? Like, what do you want to do this season, and then what do you want people to say once your career ends? What do you want people to say about Brandon Vila? For sure, I mean, uh, in like the beginning, like you want to be known as a great teammate. Of course, you want to be known as a great teammate, uh, somebody who uh, you can. Uh, rely on in the locker room or on the field uh you can be a brother for somebody uh but i mean short-term goals right now i mean obviously coming in prepared for spring training uh going in win a rotation spot uh or just to be on an opening day roster and be able to compete for the houston astros and and help win another world series and long-term goal um i mean right now just make a living in in the big leagues and, and uh be able to to compete at the highest level for as long as I can. Right. Uh, whenever somebody says or somebody takes my cleat, my cleats and, and the ball away from my hand, uh, I'll be able to look back and, and be thankful for every part of the journey that I had. Right. Right. And that that's awesome. So from from that standpoint, right? Like, have you put more weight on like we're talking about? Right. Every kid that grows up playing ball wants to be a big leaguer. So have you put more weight on throughout your career, like staying focused in 
being where your feet are? Or do you say, I have these lofty heights that I want to reach for myself and I'm going to go after them? I think it's both. Uh, you got to, hey man, like you got to enjoy every part of it. Every right. single part about being in the big leagues. Because uh, you never know when you may throw your last pitch in the big leagues or right. you may never know when it could be the last day you put on a jersey. Um, and things happen like that. So you got to be thankful for every time you step out onto that field. Um, and I mean, hopefully one, uh, be able to grow a family and be able to have kids out there on the field with me. Uh, and give them the experience that that uh, I see uh, families have. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. That's awesome, right? And then so speaking of family, right, would you ever want to coach your kid? Yeah, I mean, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, be able to uh, not come and not go through my footsteps or anything and obviously have his own career. And right. If, even if he plays baseball, whatever sport he may play, yeah. if, even if he doesn't play sport. Uh, but yeah, I think it'd be pretty cool to coach my kids. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, we, we see a lot of guys now who it seems like there's been an influx of guys in the big leagues whose dads played in the yeah. big leagues too. So that's always a question that even I think about, like I, you know, I get so wrapped up in coaching the high school kids here. It's like, well, when my kid might hate me by the time he's 12 <laughs> with that, with how detailed I try to be. But so that type, that type of relationship, right. How, how big of an impact did your dad and your family and that just your support system oh, have man, on you I mean, throughout your career? I owe everything to them. Uh, I mean, traveling all across the country to go play baseball, uh, to play a sport that's, uh, I mean, giving me everything. So uh, I thank them and I love them for everything that they've done. Uh, and I thank and love them for everything that they'll continue to do for me. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, forever grateful for them. Yeah, simply put, yeah. right? Those people that stay in your corner and mm -hmm. have been in your corner and how, how valuable they can be throughout exactly. your career. At your level, right? Like we see these post-game conversations and these interviews that happen mm -hmm. with members of the press. Like how, what kind of element does that add to what goes into day-to-day? -day? Yeah, I mean, the media is definitely a big part uh, in the baseball world. Like you see the fake news about where people are signing and, yeah, and exactly. it blows up. Uh, so being able to have the right insight and the right information is definitely uh, – and being able to – show the fans like who you actually are right and i think that's a big part of it right and you have to you have to try to find a balance there right and you i mean correct me if i'm wrong i've never been there right but you have to find a balance between like being the person you are and then trying to put your best foot forward too for right sure. for sure you want to be respectful for every to every reporter uh no matter what questions they ask you uh whether it could have been a bad, bad outing or one of your best outings uh you still got to be be respectful about everything that you say. Right, of course. I think what's what's really cool for me, man, is just to see how like the stuff we're able to talk about all the time applies in real life, oh. like you're saying, right? Like we t we tell kids be good teammates, have good energy, be respectful to the people around you, say thanks to mom and dad, right? And you're you're we're going through all this, you know, all this conversation and you're checking the boxes, yeah. right? So so what as successful as you've been physically in your baseball career, what kind of weight do you put on that stuff where it's like, I got to cover all these bases so that I can be successful? Or is it or like, how much do you think those things work hand in hand? Um, I think it does. I think it, I think it's pretty important to be able to check all the boxes to right. be in the position that I am. Um, but I think another big part is being able to give back. Right. Uh, giving back is, is probably the most crucial part for anybody uh, at the level that I'm at. Um, and it's, it's great to see what the players in MLB do for, for people. And I give everybody praise uh, for what they do for people. So what, what in that area, what have you taken from the guys around you? Like, do you have, do you have a certain initiative? Like, do you feel a responsibility at your level now? Or is it like, this is something I want to do? Yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's definitely great to to see what other guys are doing, um, the impacts that he, that, that they had made that they have on other people. Um, I may not be at that level yet, uh, but I mean, I definitely want to be there one day. Right. Awesome, man. I think uh, the last thing I have for you here, right? When you get that call, when you're right, the first time you're in the your first time you're getting called up to go to the big yeah. leagues, right? What what's your reaction in the moment when you hear that on the other end of the phone? And then what's the first phone call you make after that? Uh, shoot, I was in uh, I was in the hotel room in Corpus Christi, and uh, Bill Murphy was the one to call me to say awesome. I was getting called up. Uh, hung him up. Uh, hung up with with Bill on the phone, and then. Uh, I think I called everybody on FaceTime and got everybody on the phone together. <laughs> awesome. And uh, I mean, everybody's in, in, in tears. I was in tears. It was so hard to tell them. Right. Uh, just so many happy tears and excitement. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty awesome. And then goals going forward now, right? The next, what what heights are you looking to reach? What's what's motivating you now to make a similar type of phone call? Right. What what's the next thing you want to do on the big league level where you can call your pops, call your wife, and say, "Hey, I just accomplished this." Uh, I mean, I think solidifying myself in a rotation uh, with the Astros and helping them uh, every five six days, getting a win and doing whatever I can to. Uh, help them win another world series awesome man yeah listen i I keep i keep throwing all these uh, all these variables at you and it's it's really cool to see how everything you say and your mindset as it applies to all of this stuff across the board has just remained super consistent and saying i'm just focused on getting my job done Mm -hmm. putting in the work i got to do to prepare and then being successful once i go out there awesome man brandon thank you so much for coming on the show man pumped to have you glad to have you around uh happy you enjoyed so Best of luck to you, um, you as we as we move through the off season and into spring training here. And then I can't wait to see you get up on the mound and shove it in Houston this season. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. For the Green Grass and White Bases podcast and for Brandon Belak, I'm Eric Reardon. We're signing off. It's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball.